Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Carrie Parker, and we have a new show for you this week. Uh, I have to admit, we almost didn't. I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I'm going to keep this one kind of short this week. Uh, no doubt uh, from hanging around with 175,000 of my closest friends at CES, perhaps the, fl- <laughs> the plane flight back, I don't know. Uh, but I caught some sort of a flu. You could probably hear it in my voice. But we're going to get through this anyway. There's a lot of good stuff we need to cover this week. So uh, I will just try to keep it a little shorter than usual. We're going to talk about why you definitely need to be updating your Windows if you haven't already. Uh, I talked about how you could do it for free to Windows 10. Um, if you're on a Windows 7 or Windows 8, you should definitely do that. But, I mean, there's a huge, nasty Windows bug out there right now. And if you don't update, you are seriously vulnerable. So... Uh, hopefully you've got auto update turned on, but uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in a minute. Uh, also, there was a really nasty internet explorer bug found. Uh, so if for some reason you are still using that, actually, as of the taping of this, there is no fix yet for it. So, uh, my recommendation will be to not use internet explorer anymore. Uh, we'll talk about more about that. Uh, Apple and the FBI are facing off again over decrypting, uh, an iPhone that was found at the scene of a crime. Uh, Well, you know, we've been through this before, but I'll kind of update you on what's going on there. A really, really scary cable modem bug has been found that affects just about all modern cable modems, which is hundreds of millions of people affected potentially around the world. Uh, And unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do about it, but I will tell you what's going on with that. We are in 2020, and uh, for those of you that like uh, to abbreviate the year on your checks and such, you might want to not do that. I'll explain why. And finally, we're going to talk about a blockbuster uh, article from the New York Times uh, over the weekend that you really, really should be reading in full. But I'm going to read some excerpts from it um, that is really scary, uh, but it's not at all surprising about how a a new company has created a facial recognition app that basically will will mean that you've, (laughs) if you ever participated in anything online, including social media, that you may no longer have privacy anymore. And that will uh, lead into, as usual, our tip of the week. And uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. So this week, I'm going to keep it kind of brief where I might normally read at length from some articles. I'm going to probably just summarize them here uh, for a lot of these cases. And here's one of them. So Windows 10, there is a really nasty bug found, and and actually in all versions of Windows, and um, so if if you have not recently updated your Windows install, you definitely, definitely need to do that right away. It basically could leave your, uh, your PC open to remote attack by anywhere from around the world. Uh, and that is not, uh, I'm not over-exaggerating there. But there are some interesting aspects to this that I would do want to call out. First of all, this was brought up by the NSA, the National Security Agency. And it was so... It was so bad, it was so nasty that they actually worked with Microsoft and Microsoft actually pre-alerted some major corporations and banks and government institutions ahead of their normal Patch Tuesday, which is the second Tuesday of every month, uh, which was just last week, and and basically gave them advance notice that this was coming to try to to get them patched before the bad guys could figure this out. Uh, because a lot of times what happens when these uh, official Microsoft patches get released is the bad guys immediately look at what was patched and then reverse engineer to figure out what the problem was that was fixed and then tries to exploit any devices out there that still have the bug that haven't been updated. So this one was was bad enough 
that mo- the Microsoft working with the NSA actually pre-notified a lot of very sensitive uh, corporations, government entities ahead of time so that they could try to get this uh, fixed under strict non-disclosure agreement um, before Patch Tuesday came around. And then Patch Tuesday came around and the regular Microsoft up- update was available. So if you've got auto update turned on, hopefully you're, you're, you're fixed. Nevertheless, I would definitely go and check. So to make sure you've got the latest updates, go to Windows Settings and then Update and Security and then Windows Update and uh, click on the Check for Updates for your PC. Make sure you've got the latest. To verify what version you are running, uh, if you go to the Windows and Open Settings and if you go to a System About and you kind of scroll down a little bit, you'll see information on the what edition of Windows you're running, what version you're running. It's usually a four-digit number and then the OS build number. And the version you should see there should be 1909 if you've got the latest version. Uh, I think the OS build number is 18363.592, and the date on that should be uh, January 14th of this year. Now, again, if you're still running Windows 7 and Windows 8, Windows 8 there should be updates for those uh, on Patch Tuesday as well, but I'm going to recommend again, because those uh, Windows 7 is no longer supported, this was the last update ever for Windows 7. Uh, thank goodness, I guess this got in, got in under the wire. Um, but nevertheless, it's not going to get any more security updates from here out, so you really want to be on a more modern version of Windows. And if you go to my blog at uh, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, you'll see an article there on how you can still get Windows 10 legitimately for free from Microsoft. They don't advertise it uh, much, but um, you can still get a legitimate upgrade uh, for free from Windows 7 or Windows 8 to Windows 10. uh, And that article will walk you through how to do that. Uh, Next up, similarly, another Microsoft problem uh, that did not get patched last Tuesday uh, there's an Internet Explorer bug, the Microsoft's original old-school browser, uh, currently replaced by Edge, uh, Microsoft Edge. But if for some reason uh, you're still old-school and using Internet Explorer, just stop using it. I mean, just remove it from your system. If nothing else, you should be using the new Microsoft Edge, which is based on the Chromium engine, which is basically the same thing that runs the Chrome browser uh, without all the Google stuff on top. But personally, my, my, uh, my recommendation is to use Firefox. And again, if you go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and you search on Firefox, uh, you'll find an article there about why it's better than Chrome and why you should be switching uh, switching to use Firefox. Now, that said, the, the issue they're finding with Internet Explorer is basically this, very similar to the really bad issue they found with Firefox last week. But Firefox Mozilla patched that bug within a day or two. You know, as I've said many times, the software always has bugs. It really just comes down to... How does the company respond when those bugs are found? And Mozilla was right on top of it, uh, and they fixed it right away. So if you missed that news, make sure you're also running the latest version of Firefox. Um, go, you can go to Firefox Help About, uh, and if you're not running the latest, it will actually do a check right It will force it to do a check right then and there, uh, and then you can uh, click to restart and upgrade to the latest Firefox. All right, moving on. Apple and the FBI are butting heads again over uh, encrypted iPhones. And it's kind of the same result as the San Bernardino case. This was a Florida case where uh, somebody shot and killed several people and injured others. And um, Attorney General William Barr has come out publicly and said that Apple has not been helpful and they need to decrypt these devices, yada, yada, the same kind of thing we've been saying before. Uh, Obviously, it's a very sympathetic case, which is one reason why the FBI and the DOJ are pushing it. But it's, it's it's the same problem. There's... Encryption is good for everybody. It helps protect everybody. And you can't weaken that encryption for just the good guys. Uh, it's a tricky argument. Uh, it's a very technical argument. It's one that it's a very nuanced argument. It's a lot easier to understand when the FBI says, hey, I've got these child molesters or I've got a terrorist or whatever. And gosh darn it, if I can't unlock this phone, lots of people are going to be hurt. 
but that is a really slippery slope and we can't, unfortunately, there's no, there's no kind of half measure. There's no way to uh, technically come up with a solution that would allow only the good guys to have access to the information and, and not compromise that information for everybody else, including hackers and rogue nation states and even rogue employees and government officials. So let me read a little bit from this article from Input Mag, which I'd never heard of actually before uh, until this, but here's a couple excerpts. Earlier today, Attorney General William Barr called on Apple to unlock the alleged phone of the Pensacola shooter, a man who murdered three people and injured eight others on a naval base in Florida in December. Apple's has responded by essentially saying no. Quote, we reject the characterization that Apple has not provided substantive, substantive assistance in the Pensacola investigation, the company said. It was not until January 8th that we received a subpoena for information related to the second iPhone, which we responded to within hours, unquote. And back to the article, despite pressure from the government, Apple has long held that giving anyone the keys to the user's data or a back door to their phones, even in cases where terrorism or violence was involved, would compromise every user. The company is clearly standing by those principles. And they quote a long response that Apple gave to this, but I just want to read the last paragraph from Apple. And it says, we have always maintained that there's no such thing as a backdoor just for the good guys. Backdoors can also be exploited by those who threaten our national security and the data security of our customers. Today, law enforcement has access to more data than ever before in history, so Americans do not have to choose between weakening encryption and solving investigations. We feel strongly encryption is vital to protecting our country and our users' data. So I believe that's the right stance. I know it could be frustrating, and I know that some people may disagree with that, but uh, this is a debate we've had actually for a long time now. It started in the 90s, uh, back with a clipper chip, and if you, may, if you happen to remember any of that stuff, and back then it was basically decided that Encryption was better for everybody, and and we had to work around the cases where we didn't have it, and that's still true today. And Apple's also right, and this is a golden age of surveillance. There's so so much other information out there that it, I think it makes total sense that Apple should protect its customers. Encryption is the basis for basically everything we do on the web these days. You know, every time you see HTTPS, that's encryption. That means that you know what you're talking to that website with, no one else can see but that website. Encryption is the foundation for our digital lives today, and we cannot, we cannot hobble it. All right, I could debate that for hours. <laughs> so uh, let's move on. A group of researchers has run across a really, really serious vulnerability in just about every modern cable modem out there. And, and cable modem is that box given to you by Comcast or Spectrum or uh, or whatever that, you know, that the cable comes in, the little coax cable comes in, and what comes out is Ethernet. And that gives you uh, your network for the house. And unfortunately, most of these modems inc include a single chip by a company named Broadcom um, or a family of chips. And these chips have been discovered to have some serious vulnerabilities. Now, the there's good news and bad news. The good news is that this, these problems can be fixed with a software update. Uh, the bad news is this has been available since last summer, and most of these ISPs who were made aware of this around the world still have not updated the modems. modems. And the other kind of bad news for this is even if you own your own modem, you can't update this firmware. And this I found that rather shocking, actually. But I guess the ISPs have somehow worked it out with the modem manufacturers to basically say, hey, if you're going to put this on our network and we're going to authorize you to buy your own modems and put them on our, on our network, then we have to be able to say when that software gets updated and be able to control that software or we won't let you do it. So uh, it's kind of a longer article. Let me just read um, 
uh, some bits and pieces from it here. Hundreds of millions of cable modems around the world may be vulnerable to a software flaw named Cable Haunt by its Danish discoverers. The flaw lies in the Broadcom system on a chip used in many cable modems, specifically the software running the Spectrum Analyzer, which protects against power surges in the cable signal. We reached out to Broadcom for comment, and the company's spokesperson gave us this statement, quote, We have made the relevant fix to the reference code, and this fix is made available to customers in May of 2019, unquote. The resulting attack requires local access and is hard to pull off, but skilled attackers could embed attack code in web pages or email messages that would then exploit the flaw once the victim viewed them in a web browser. So let me stop for a second. So the key there is the the attack needs to come from within your network. But unfortunately, that attack could be uh, instigated just by a web browser page. So if you go to the wrong web page or that web page is serving up a, a malicious ad that contains this uh, this JavaScript, you could be at risk. Back to the article. Uh, successful attackers could seize control of the modem and send users the, of the compromised network to malicious websites, conduct man-in-the-middle attacks on online transactions, or change the modem's firmware, said researchers at Liarbirds, the Danish security firm that found Cable Haunt. The Liarbirds team thinks nearly 200 million cable modems may be vulnerable to Cable Haunt in Europe alone. And then the article goes on to list a bunch of uh, uh, known vulnerable models. I'll just read some of the names. Uh, Aris uh, Surfboard, which is a very, very popular cable modem brand. Compal, C-O-M-P-A-L, I haven't heard of that one. Uh, Humax and Netgear is another very, very common, uh, at least in the U.S., a very common popular uh, cable modem maker. Sagecom and and some others. Um, But honestly, Broadcom is an extremely popular chip and it's it's used in almost all modern cable modems. So back to the article, it says, if you rent your cable modem or a combined cable modem router from your ISP, then contact your ISP and ask whether your model is vulnerable to the cable haunt flaw. If so, then ask when a firmware update might be coming. Here's the catch. Even if you own your own modem or a combined modem router, you probably will have to wait for the ISP to push out updated firmware for your model. ISPs are very fussy about which customer-owned modems their networks are compatible with, and this extends to the firmware. For example, neither Aris nor Netgear lets customers update their own cable modem firmware. Instead, they give the firmware to the ISPs, which test it to make sure it doesn't cause any problems. So, unfortunately, it's not a lot of good news. I just want to make you aware of it so that you can maybe at least contact your internet service provider to ask them this question and find out if you're vulnerable, A, and B, uh, when they might have an update for you. When that update does come out, you're going to have a disruption in service. Your cable modem is going to go out for a little while. Uh, anywhere from you know minutes to up to an hour maybe, however long it takes for them to uh, download the firmware update and get it updated. Some of these uh, modems are, are actually very slow computers uh, in some ways, uh, so sometimes this process can take a while. You know, if they're going to update it, they'll probably do it three in the morning or something, uh, so it doesn't affect most people. But until they do, I guess be extra special careful on on what you uh, on what you do with your computers and your IoT devices. It really could be anything, unfortunately. There's not a lot you do, but I wanted to make you aware of it. All right, now here's an interesting one, and one that I hadn't thought about, but, you know, clever people uh, have thought thought about it, and and, uh, it's an interesting little warning. So uh, I got this off CNN, uh, and I'll just read the article. It says, 2020 is finally here, and it's coming with its own set of challenges. Not only do we have to break the habit of writing 2019, when we really mean 2020, but the dawn of a new decade also creates a unique opportunity for scammers, says Ira Reingold, executive director of the National Association of Consumer Advocates. How exactly, you ask? When the year 2020 is abbreviated on official forms and documents, 
Those looking to exploit unsuspecting people can easily manipulate those numbers and leave people potentially vulnerable to fraud. For example, a document dated 1-4-20 can easily be changed to 1-4-2021 by adding two numbers at the end. There are several ways this could pose a problem. Ryan Gold cited the example of a stale check, or one that was written more than six months or so ago. If you have an old check lying around that's dated 1-4-20 and someone finds it, they could add 21 to the end of of that date, and voila, the check is no longer stale. Or let's say you sign a credit contract, an agreement between a borrower and a lender, and date it 1-4-20. Say you miss a month or two of payments, and the lender goes to collect the debt that's owed. Theoretically, they could add 19 to the end of that date and argue that you owe more than a year's worth of payments, Rheingold said. Anyway, so the basic upshot there is, uh, because it's a rather unique situation where the year 2020 the, the ending is the same as the beginning, and if you just put in the ending, think that it's in your abbreviating, you may be, unfortunately, putting on the beginning of some other year that somebody else could turn that into. All right, now for our main story, and this was a really, really disturbing article in the New York Times. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the title, title of the article was, The Secretive Company That Might End Privacy As We Know It. And while that sounds a little dire, it's, it's actually very worth uh, considering, because well, let me just let me just read some excerpts from this article. It's a very long article. I, I suggest you actually read the whole thing if this interests you at all, and it should. But let me just pull little bits and pieces out of this to give you a flavor of what's going on here. Since I did kind of pick and choose some of these articles, I, some of these people were in, and concepts were introduced um, that I skipped. So one of them is that the gentleman who created this company called Clearview, uh, his name is Mr. I'm going to try saying this once, Mr. Ton That. I'm sure I mispronounced that. It's T-O-N-T-H-A-T. So because I don't want to butcher it completely, I'm just going to say Mr. T. And by that, I don't mean the guy from the 1980s, the actor from the 1980s TV show or uh, the Rocky movies. I'm just going to call him Mr. T so I don't constantly butcher this guy's name. All right. So excerpts from this article. It says, police departments have had access to facial recognition tools for almost 20 years, but they have historically been limited to searching government provided images such as mug shots and driver's license photos. And by the way, passport photos. Mr. T wanted to go way beyond that. He began in 2016 by recruiting a couple of engineers. And this was, uh, he was creating this facial recognition app. So that's what he's recruiting these engineers for. He said, one helped design a program that could automatically collect images of people's faces from across the internet, such as employment sites, news sites, educational sites, and social networks, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and even Venmo. Representatives from those companies said their policies prohibit such scraping, and Twitter said it explicitly banned use of its data for facial recognition. Now, let me just stop right there. This is part of the problem. So all these companies say, hey, you know, if you, our terms of service say you're not allowed to do this, but they don't prevent it. And in some cases, what these things are, are programming interfaces, these APIs I talk about every once in a while. And Cambridge Analytica was one of the companies that abused these things. And so all these companies... These, these third-party partners, quote-unquote, are given access to this data via these computer programming interfaces. And they sign these contracts saying you must not use it for this, but it's not enforced. But then a lot of these other things are just plain public. There's nothing preventing somebody from doing this other than a policy saying you're not supposed to do that. All right, back to the article. One reason that Clearview, which is the name of this guy's uh, app, uh, is catching on, is that its service is unique. That's because Facebook and other social media sites prohibit people from scraping users' images. Clearview is violating the site's terms of service. And then Mr. T says, quote, a lot of people are doing it. Facebook knows, unquote. And then this other guy, this guy named uh, Al uh, Jadari, a privacy professor at Stanford, says, quote, 
It's creepy what they're doing. But there will be many more of these companies. There's no monopoly on math. Absent a very strong federal privacy law, we're all screwed, unquote. Mr. T said his company used only publicly available images. If you change a privacy setting in Facebook so that the search engines can't link to your profile, your Facebook photos won't be included in the database, he said. But if your profile has already been scraped, it's too late. The company keeps all the images that are scraped, even if they are later deleted or taken down. Though Mr. T said the company was working on a tool that would let people request that images be removed if they have been taken down from the website of origin. Now, again... Stopping here, this is uh, the, uh, the tyranny of the default problem. First of all, unless you heard this, read this article or heard me talk about it, you probably didn't even know this company exists. So how would you know to go and ask these people to remove photos that you've deleted from Facebook? You wouldn't. And even if you did know, the chances of you actually doing this are slim because this is just one of thousands and thousands and probably tens of thousands of companies that are abusing your data right now. There is no practical way for you to go and individually request to all of them that they stop using your information. We need a law. All right, back to the article. Woodrow Hartzog, a professor of law and computer science at Northeastern University in Boston, sees Clearview as the latest proof that facial recognition should be banned in the United States. Quote, we relied on industry efforts to self-police and not embrace such a risky technology. But now those dams are breaking because there is so much money on the table. I don't see a future where we harness the benefits of facial recognition technology without the crippling abuse of the surveillance that comes with it. The only way to stop it is to ban it, unquote. So earlier in the article, um, the the author of this article um, had uploaded her own picture to this app to see what what results came back, and at the time it triggered some sort of a weird flag, and the, and the company started calling uh, her police buddies to figure out why they were searching on this name. I guess because her name was tied to the New York Times, so they were worried that the police were working with the media or something like that. They were because this company, if you read the article, was trying very hard to stay under the radar, despite being used by apparently hundreds of police departments. So suddenly, all of a sudden, all images based on this uh, author's face were, were gone. No hits were coming back uh, on, their, on their facial recognition. And uh, Mr. T said that was a quote-unquote software bug. So that'll give you the context for the, uh, this next paragraph. Mr. T then took my photo with the app. The software bug, quote-unquote, had been fixed. And now my photo returned numerous results dating back a decade, including photos of myself that I had never seen before. When I used my hand to cover my nose and the bottom of my face, the app still returned seven correct matches for me. Police officers and Clearview's investors predict that its app will eventually be available to the public. Mr. T said he was reluctant. Quote, there's always going to be a community of bad people who will misuse it, unquote. Even if Clearview doesn't make its app publicly available, a copycat company might, now that the taboo is broken. Searching someone by face could become as easy as Googling a name. Strangers would be able to listen in on sensitive conversations, take photos of the participants, and know personal secrets. Someone walking down the street would be immediately identifiable, and his or her home address would be only a few clicks away. It would herald the end of public anonymity. All right, that's that's the end of what I'm going to quote from the article. I don't really get that sentence where it says strangers would be able to listen in on sensitive conversations. I don't know what that means, but certainly any anybody in public who could take your photo, and they could take it from a distance with a telephoto lens, could identify you. Um, if you remember Google Glass, which was the uh, the augmented reality glasses where you wore this little thing on your on special glasses where it would paint images basically on the back of your retina overlaid with what you saw. So uh, what that would mean is you could walk down the street and every face you see, there'd be a little box on it. And uh, this thing could be Googling or using Clearview in the background to basically put a name with every face you saw. P- people you don't even know because of apps like this uh, Clearview thing. There was a marketing chart from Clearview 
that they had provided to law enforcement. And it, it, it totaled up the number of available images that Clearview uh, had versus other law enforcement. And it showed the L.A. police with 8 million uh, photos, the Florida police with 47 million photos, the FBI with 411 million photos, and then Clearview with 3 billion photos. These were all publicly available. These are just out there from scraping Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and and all these other places. It was it was just easy for the taking. I'm surprised this it took this long for this to happen. So again, just think carefully about what this means. This means that if I had access to this app, I could take a picture of somebody, anybody, upload it to this thing, and immediately find every other picture on the internet of this person that was public, and probably this person's name, very likely where this person lives, and probably who they know. Strangers could be doing this to you. Stalkers could be doing this. Corporations could be doing this. You walk in through in their stores and walk out. And obviously the government, the government could be doing this. So we just, we have no regulation. We just, we've got to clamp down on this before. I mean, it's already gone too far. So this leads into my tip of the week. And unfortunately it's a little bit lame, but, and that is just limit who can see your photos, go through all your social media, go to all the privacy settings, make sure you have these dialed back. Your pictures should not be public. They should only be available to your friends or your contacts. And if you have the capability to limit uh, even some of that, you might. Um, you should probably avoid associating your name uh, with photos anywhere, which you know a lot of these services on social media accounts allow you to tag people and tag yourself. Re- you know, refrain from doing that. There are some of these things that will allow you to prevent others from tagging you. I would recommend that you do that as well. And finally, and this this is going to be hard, I think Apple offers this automatically when you upload photos anywhere, I think. Uh, Facebook may be doing this as well, but whenever you take a photo, especially on a smartphone, there's a lot of metadata embedded in that photo. You know, some of the things like, you know, what the lighting was, what f-stop was used, you know, magnification, all that kind of stuff, but very often also your GPS coordinates. So be aware that if you're uploading photos somewhere, that that photo may come with it exactly where you're located. You know, be thinking about that when you're taking a picture of your, you know, your young child's birthday party in your backyard or at the local park where they play all the time. Or if you have an abusive ex that is, you know, or stalkers or whatever, just you got to be aware how much information you're giving away when you post these photos on these public websites. All right, that's going to do it for this week couple reminders. Um, last week, we talked about the, uh, the TurboTax free file and all the other free file programs that are supposed to let you file for free that very often trick you into uh, paying for things that you shouldn't have to. Uh, it's tax season. It's coming up. If you did not catch that episode, you definitely want to go back and check that out. I'm probably going to be sending a newsletter uh, and blog about that same thing next week. So you can look for that as well. And that, that would be a great thing to share with other people. The interview last week was really just stunning. Um, so again, if you missed that, I would definitely go back and check that one out. One more thing I'd like to bring up, and this was from a, a listener. I want to send a thanks to the listener for bringing this up, and I'd, I'd ask for some feedback and input, and I got some. Uh, and this is one that I, he recommended that I thought I'd pass along as well. It's a tool called Sandboxy, uh, S-A-N-D-B-O-X-I-E. It's uh, taken different forms over the years. It's actually been around for a while. Uh, it was bought eventually by Sophos, who I've talked about before. They've got the Naked Security blog, and they make a, an antivirus software product that I've recommended uh, off and on. And now it appears that they're going to make it an open source project, uh, which is great. Um, so it'll become free. Uh, but basically what this is, is it, it's a it's a container, and it allows you a software container. It allows you to run like your mail app or your browser or something, or maybe some brand new software you downloaded that you're kind of unsure of. Uh, if you run it 
kind of with this program, it kind of runs in a shell or a container that prevents it from doing malicious things. So if you run your email program in there and you accidentally click on a link that would have taken you somewhere bad or do something bad to your computer, uh, this, this sandbox theoretically should prevent that from happening, should contain it. You could, you could almost think of it sort of like a web condom. Now, unfortunately, it's currently only available for Windows. Uh, of course, that's a lot of people out there. So if you have a Windows machine, uh, you might check this out, especially if you're kind of paranoid or you, maybe you often work with attachments or uh, have to download things or go to websites that you might consider shady for, um, for some reasons. If you kind of want an extra layer of protection, you can try uh, running your web browser or whatever within this sandboxy thing to try to contain you know, any malware that might try to get out or uh, anything that might try to affect your computer. This is a little bit different than antivirus. Uh, kind of, uh, it's kind of a, a blanket protection thing. It doesn't matter what's going on or what you try to do inside this area. It shouldn't allow anything to creep out into your actual computer to make any kind of permanent changes. So, you know, it's worth checking out. Uh, for those of you uh, that are on a Mac, uh, one thing you might look into is VirtualBox. Uh, this is a free virtual machine or a VM. Uh, and you will have to kind of, you'll have to learn a little bit about this and do some special things to uh, to download, uh, install some software, uh, an operating system, but basically it kind of lets you run a computer within a computer. And that would include, by the way, uh, running a Windows computer inside of a Macintosh computer. Though I don't think it works the other way around. I think Apple's limits where its images can be run as a virtual image. So I'm not sure if you could actually run a Mac and on a PC, but you can run a PC within a PC and a Mac within a Mac. Uh, so if you wanted to kind of have a special space where uh, maybe you do things that are a little, a little more risky or you're a little worried about, you could theoretically uh, create a virtual machine with that uh, running Mac OS or run, running Windows that you launch. And then within that kind of computer within a computer, this called, if, you've ever, if you've seen the movie Inception, it's kind of like that. And supposedly, like Vegas, whatever happens in that uh, virtual machine stays in that virtual machine. And one of the kind of interesting things about virtual machines is you can create snapshots. So you kind of get it all installed, get it all set up, get everything updated, and then take a snapshot. Uh, and then you can go and do whatever you want, and then you could actually just roll back to the snapshot. And no matter what you installed, no matter what you changed, uh, that all just goes away like it never happened. Uh, now, the, the downside of that is you keep you have to keep updating your snapshot because the operating system and browsers and things like that keep getting updates. So that's a little bit of a pain. But at any point, you could take a snapshot uh, before you do something within that web browser. And if you just want to be able to undo it, you got a nice, nice, quick and easy undo. All right. That's going to wrap up our show for this week. Uh, thanks again for the feedback. Uh, if you've got some feedback you'd like to give me on topics you'd like to cover, tools you think are cool, uh, people that I should be interviewing, whatever, uh, you can send me feedback at feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. I'm also looking for feedback on the next edition of the book, the fourth edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, hopefully, will be coming out this summer. So if you've read the book and have some suggestions on things I might tweak there, I'd love to hear those as well. And that'll do it this week. Uh, I do have some other interviews in the hopper, but I'm not sure if they're going to come around in time for next week. So I may have another news show next week. We'll see how things go. But I, <laughs> there's never, never a dull moment. There's always something to report on. So until next week, everybody stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.